Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. At the end of last February, we had our, our two-Sunday class for uh, new members or people who had questions about our church, new member or visitor question-answer class. And we're going to have another one at the end of April, last two Sundays of April. We provide lunch. And uh, in this one, we had uh, one particular family, the, the Jeanette family. They brought their kids, Silas and Paxton. Silas is almost nine. And in the middle of class, uh, it didn't have anything to do with whatever we were talking about. I said, uh, what questions do you have for me? And he raised his hand. And like every little kid, he didn't have a question. He had a comment. He said, uh, I saw a picture of my parents when they first got married, and they looked different. <laughs> Silas, that happens. And, you know, I, I turned, I, I, you know, I hear what he says. I'm communicating to him. He said, when, you know, when I got married, when I first got married, I kind of looked different too. I had a full head of hair and no beard, and I was really skinny. And he said, uh, you mean the opposite of what you are now. (laughs) I brought a picture. I brought a picture of when Carrie and I first got married. Have it right here. Now, I got to give you a couple warnings. Uh, One, Ed Blouse, our facilities manager, saw me with this picture the other day, and he walked by, and he said, who's that? I said, uh, Ed, that's me. And he goes, oh. So, not one of those like good O's. That was like, oh. And then Jacob, the guy who was just singing up here, he said, Dale, I got to tell you the truth. If Carrie hadn't been in that picture, I wouldn't have known it was you all because she hasn't changed that much, but mm, you, a little bit. So, I have this picture. I got to give you a warning. It looks a little different. Here's what it looks like. Yeah, oh, apparently my wife is still beautiful, and I look like trailer trash. (laughs) You mean the opposite of what you are now? (laughs) You know, when we start off, uh, usually when we start off and when we're married, we're we're just babies when we get married a lot of times. Uh, Carrie and I, we're so young, and um, I like to say we... (laughs) Uh, just in the last couple of days, we were young and dumb, and uh, now I'm older. That's about it. And um, when God tells us we have our beginning in Jesus, he says we're babies in Christ. And being babies in Christ is not where we want to end up being. We want to grow and we want to mature in Jesus. But when we start, when we go to that starting point in our discipleship journey, when we're learning to follow Jesus, we're just young in Jesus. And then we get this opportunity as we continue on this path to grow closer and closer to Jesus, we grow in maturity. And then the Scripture tells us, the Scripture actually tells us what our starting point is. It says this is the ceremony that starts, much like marriage. And today we're going to talk about that starting point in our discipleship journey, according to what the Scripture says. Let's pray. God, I I am so thankful that we get this opportunity to look in Scripture today at where you tell us we're supposed to start with Jesus. 
And then how you tell us we're supposed to continue to grow in Jesus. So Lord, would you allow the Holy Spirit to help us understand and know and learn, but also, Lord, help us to be convicted by the Holy Spirit to make the best decisions that honor you with our entire life, including our beginning part with Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In Mark chapter 1, it tells us about this beginning place. It tells us about this beginning place when Jesus was baptized. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, here's what the scripture says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. We have God the Father speaking, we have the Holy Spirit descending, we have Jesus Christ the Son, and we have water all in one place. This is a theme we're going to see that actually this happens through all, all Scripture. But Jesus, as he is getting baptized, he is, he is revealing to us our own starting point as an example for us. And so I thought today we'd start with this starting point of baptism, but maybe some of us don't know what baptism is, and we can start with that question, what is baptism? And I like to, I like to describe it with, with these type of words. Uh, baptism is e- immersion, it is an illustration, it is an initiation, and it's, there's something invisible that happens. So if you want to write those down, I don't mind. If you want to text yourself what that is, that's okay too if you want. Baptism is immersion, an illustration, an initiation, and invisible. But first, let's just start with immersion. The word baptism means to put all the way under water, totally immersed. Um, when in, in, the, in the New Testament, the the most words are translated into English that we read. We, we, none of us are probably Greek scholars. We probably read an English translation of the Bible. Most words in the New Testament are translated. Baptismo, the Greek word for baptism, wasn't translated in our English translation. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It was actually transliterated. What they did was, when they were making the translation way back when, I think it was King Jimmy, he said, let's take the English words and letters that sounds like the Greek, the Greek sounding. So the Greek is baptismo. They translated it, transliterated it, baptism. Because if they translated immersion, that would ruin a lot of people's understanding of what baptism is. They would actually know what the New Testament says. It is immersion. In fact, in, in that time, if a ship were to sink and go underwater, the, the whole ship is lost, it would be considered baptized. Or if they were going to dye clothing another color, they would take the clothing and they would dip it underneath the dye completely. It's baptismo, completely under and changed. If you were going to wash plates and cups in a sink full of water and you put them underwater, it's called baptismo, baptism. So first of all, we need to understand that where the New Testament teaches baptism, you can take that word and just translate it in your mind, immersion. So anywhere you read baptism, for example, we're going to mention this a lot today, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you read that, you can translate it in your head. 
immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What you just saw Jerry do, he was totally underwater. Uh, Some people say, hold them down until they bubble. No, you just have to put them underwater. That's what immersion means. Now, there there are some faith traditions that teach a different form of baptism. They'll, they'll either teach infant baptism or sprinkling. Um, I, I have to just be straight up with you. In the New Testament, neither of those ways are taught. There is no infant baptism found in the New Testament, and there's no sprinkling found in the New Testament of uh, considered baptism. And I think it's a very dangerous path to go on to take something that's not taught in Scripture and begin teaching it as the way to do something when it's already explained how to do it. I think it's really dangerous to take something that's not found in Scripture and build an entire theology on it. But everywhere in the New Testament where someone was baptized, they made the decision for themselves, they believed that Jesus Christ died and rose again, they repented of their sin, confessed that they believed it, and then they were buried underwater and then brought back up out of the water. That happened everywhere in the New Testament. Somebody's baptized. That's what they describe. So that's what we teach as a church. When someone is baptized, or if we teach baptism, we teach its immersion. It's also an illustration. There is no greater picture given to us by God than baptism to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul described it this way. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he was buried. And then after three days, he rose from the grave. Baptism is a beautiful illustration of the good news of Jesus Christ. When you, when you just saw Jerry, he was put under water and then he was raised up out of water. He is performing a gospel play. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then after three days rose from the dead. It's a beautiful illustration. It is, it's also, it's also, as an illustration, it also illustrates this rebirth we have in Jesus. The scripture says that when we go from our old way into the new way, we are reborn into Christ. And baptism is an illustration of a rebirth. You actually become, in Jesus, a totally different person. Not only are you moved from the, the, uh, removed from the gates of hell and the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, but you are a new creation in God's kingdom. And this is what's real. The kingdom of God is real. And being a citizen of that kingdom is so important. It's immersion and it's an illustration. It's also an initiation. It is how you get, how the scripture describes you get into Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter Uh, connects it with the great flood. He said, in the flood, eight people were saved in the ark through this water. And then he has this phrase that a lot of theologians don't like that he says this. But he says, likewise, this water, baptism, now saves you. When he says baptism now saves you, what what he is telling us and teaching us is baptism is how you get into Jesus. It's like Noah family got into the ark, baptism is the way to get into Christ. Paul takes up this same kind of language and says, you are, if you have been baptized, you have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no other way the New Testament describes getting into Jesus except in baptism. It's pretty important. 
In fact, there's a priority and an emphasis placed on baptism found in Scripture. It is an immersion, it's an illustration, but it's also an initiation. This is how you get into the family of God. This is how you get into the kingdom of God. This is how you get into Christ. There's also something invisible that happens. And I'll I'll, I'll read it from Colossians chapter 2. See, when Jesus gives us these two ceremonies, communion and baptism, they both are illustrations of the gospel. And I think both of them, God does something during the moment. God does something during communion, and God does something during baptism. In Colossians chapter 2, he describes it this way. This is what God does. Now, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. So verse 12 is where it says, having been buried in baptism, or having been buried with him in immersion. Here's what verse 9 says. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. How are you brought to fullness? He, Jesus Christ, is the head over every power and authority. In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, most of us are old enough in here to know understand what circumcision means. If you are younger and you don't know what that means... Ask your parents after church today. Circumcision means a cutting away of the flesh. Now, a spiritual circumcision means there's a cutting away of sin. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In Jesus, you were also circumcised, cutting away, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. It's a spiritual circumcision, a spiritual cutting away of sin. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul here says something invisible happens during baptism. Your sins are cut away. In fact, in Scripture, baptism is united with faith it connected in the same discussion as faith. It's connected in the same discussion as repentance. It's, just, it's connected in the same discussion as salvation. It's, it's connected with the same discussion in the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's connected with a theme found throughout all of the Bible. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and water with the Son and salvation. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You have God the Father, you have the Spirit, you have water. We found out later in Colossians that Jesus Christ created everything. He was there. Peter already has linked it to Noah and the ark, where God brings about water with a decreation because people were so evil, and he recreates. In the Hebrew language, wind and God's Spirit are the same word. So if you read that the wind came and made the water recede, you could also replace that with God's Spirit came and made the water recede. And then Peter, he links it. This is how they got into the ark and were saved. This is how you get into Jesus and this baptism now saves you. 
when Moses was leading the Israelites out of slavery and they came to the Red Sea, it was the Spirit of God who parted the sea and they crossed over on dry land to their salvation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't you know that all of us and the people of Israel were baptized as they went through the water with Moses? Immersed, even though they would travel over dry land. When the Israelites were led by Joshua and they went into the promised land, God tells them, have the priests carry the ark and step into the Jordan River. And when they do, I'll divide it for you. And the priests carrying the ark stepped into the water. The water divided and all of Israel crossed over on dry land into the promised land. The priests went before the people into the water to lead them to salvation. And now we have our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Go into the water ahead of us. Into the same water, the Jordan, representing Israel and all of humankind. And he says to John, you baptize me. John says, Matthew chapter 3, Lord, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, this fulfills all righteousness. It's connected throughout all scripture. It is so important and valuable. It's immersion, it's illustration, it's initiation, and it's invisible. Jesus also commands us to be baptized. Sometimes with a voice from heaven. Jesus commands us to be baptized. It's a command of Jesus. The man who told us he was going to die... And then after three days, rise from the dead. And then he did it. We should just do whatever he says. He commands us to be baptized. In Luke chapter 6, he says, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? He commands us to be baptized. Now, there are reasons why some people don't get baptized. I like to call this stall. S-T-A-L-L. There's a reason why some people don't get baptized. The S in stall stands for unsaved. There are people who don't get baptized because they have no intention of ever following or obeying Jesus. They have no intention of ever actually becoming a Christian. There is no working of the Holy Spirit on them or in them to convict them that they are in the kingdom of darkness of the kingdom of Satan and need to be brought into the kingdom of light and they say, I am not going to obey what Jesus tells me to do. If you ever find yourself in a position where Jesus is giving you a clear command and you know it from the New Testament and you say, I'm not going to obey it, that's it, that's a good indicator that you are not actually saved, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. At the very minimum, we can question your salvation. It may mean that you like hanging out with Christians, but that doesn't mean you're saved. And some people put off being baptized because they are actually unsaved people, and they have in their mind, they think they're saved, but they are bound for hell on a, on a path to hell, not to discipleship. They're actually unsaved. That's why some people don't get baptized. The T stands for tradition. There are some traditions that teach a different mode of baptism than what the New Testament, the Scripture, teaches. And so they'll, they'll have in their mind that they have been baptized, even though they read in Scripture that it's a different type of baptism. 
Some traditions teach sprinkling or infant baptism. I think I already went over that. Now, um, there's one preacher. His name is uh, John Lindell. And he said he always figured out that he had started in the right spot because in his tradition as he was growing up, he was baptized as an infant. And it wasn't until he was older that his father-in-law set him down and explained to him in the New Testament that is not the baptism described in the New Testament. This is not the baptism that Jesus commanded us to do, your infant baptism. Now, if you have been baptized as an infant or you were sprinkled, I think that that um, expression of faith is beautiful. I think it's awesome that your parents wanted you to be in Christ. I think it's awesome that at one point you committed yourself to Jesus and you thought you were obeying. But i got to tell you, in the New Testament, it describes something different than what you have experienced. Not that you haven't had an experience, but it's not what was commanded by Jesus. Pastor John Liddell, he said his father-in-law set him down and he showed him this passage out of Acts 19. You can turn there and look later. But But Paul was going to the Gentiles, and he had found a community that claimed to follow Jesus, but they hadn't experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he asked them, do you have John's baptism, or were you baptized into Jesus? And they said, we only know of John's baptism. And so Paul explains to them, there is a baptism where you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you need to do it. And they all got baptized They didn't get re-baptized. They just recognized that there was a baptism taught in the New Testament by Jesus that they had never participated in. So they got baptized into Jesus. John Lindell, he said when that happened to him, I want to quote what he said. He said he'd been baptized as an infant, but when his father-in-law set him down and showed him the scripture, he said, John Lindell said, I'm all in with Jesus And if he commands me to be baptized and I learn that there's a way he commanded that I haven't done, I'll do it because he says so. And he said after he was baptized over the next few months, he became more aware there was a whole new grace on his life from God that he had never experienced before. A fresh touch of glory he had never had in his life before. He said he had been impacted by the Holy Spirit. He had been led by the Holy Spirit, but he had never experienced the Holy Spirit like he experienced after he obeyed Jesus to be baptized. See, some people are unsaved, and that's why they don't get baptized. Some people have traditions that they care more about than they care about the commands of Jesus. This is stall. Some people put on airs. They're prideful. And so, you know, if you're an adult and you are baptized. That's a humbling experience. And if you have lived your life the whole way, like Pastor Liddell said, and I thought I was baptized, but now I'm not, he, he says, when you get baptized that way, that's like admitting you were wrong. And he's, that's hard for a lot of people. Well, let me rephrase that. It's hard for me. Or you have to admit that you were being disobedient to the Lord. Or there's some kind of pride where people say, I don't want anybody to look at me. Jerry, when he got in the water, he said, I'm a little nervous, I'm a little emotional. And fortunately, the heater's not working today. And as soon as he stepped in that cold water, that shocked him right out of whatever fear he might have had. But some people say, I don't want anybody to see me covered and all wet. Baptism is so beautiful because it doesn't matter if you have a really expensive haircut or a homemade one. You all come up out of the water looking the same. 
It's not humiliating, it's humbling. And there has to be a humble aspect as you turn your life to Christ to say, I'm going to put down my own agenda and take up your agenda. I used to do things I wanted to do, but now I'm going to do only things Jesus commands me to do. And there is a humbling aspect to that that must be there if you're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized. And so we have to get rid of our pride. Not to mention, Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the fathers. But if you don't confess me before people, I won't confess you before the Father. See, baptism is an illustration and it's immersion and it's initiation, but it's also a confession of faith that you do in front of witnesses. And it's beautiful. It's humbling but not humiliating. Then there's their L, stall, unsaved tradition, Airs, pride. L is kind of like, um, I've, I, I learned too little. So I didn't know I was supposed to be baptized. I didn't realize there was a command from Jesus. I didn't know enough. But then you learn and then you need to obey. Or there's the other L where I need to learn more. There are some people that put off being baptized because they feel like they need to have all the answers before they get baptized. And i got to tell you, this is, a, this is not a good way to live life because you can never have the, uh, all the answers about anything in life. You can never have all the facts about any decision you have to make. Fortunately, and I love the way God has set up the way we live, the, the way we live and the way we make decisions, God has given us the ability to reason with the facts that we know to be able to make a right decision. And it's the same thing with baptism. You can actually study baptism and never have all the answers about baptism. But you can know enough to make a decision. Jesus Christ commands it. Jesus Christ connects it to being in Jesus. The New Testament is all about the connection of baptism, salvation, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, walking in Christ. Well, you can learn more, but that's what we need to know. April, Jerry's wife, she said, do I need to be baptized? Because I grew up in a Presbyterian church. Before, in first hour, I mentioned Presbyterians often sprinkle or do infant baptism I said, April, were you baptized? Were you immersed? She said, yes, we, we went to a pool. I said, it counts, it counts. She said, I was really young when it happened. Well, did you believe that Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sins? She said, yes. I said, that's the New Testament baptism. See, we can learn too little, but once you know the answer, you need to make the decision. Or you can keep putting it off and keep putting it off, keep putting it, learn more and more, and you can learn forever, and you can do that with any decision in life. I heard one preacher say that delayed obedience most often just becomes disobedience. Jesus calls you to make a decision for him. And if he's calling you to be baptized, I say don't put it off anymore, but obey. Don't stall anymore your faith. Jimmy Bettle is a, uh, he's been coming to our church and he often speaks his mind. He's in our online small group on Wednesday nights. Uh, and let me tell you this kind of guy Jimmy is. Uh, Jimmy is, uh, he came to our new member class several months ago, several months ago. We had 13 people in that class. And I asked this question, uh, why are you coming to this congregation? Why do you come to this church? 
Uh, just tell me some of the reasons. And we went around the room, all 13 people. And, you know, some of them mentioned we love the children's program. We love Tony and Cheryl and the youth group. Uh, we love that this church is so friendly. We really feel like this is a home atmosphere. We're, we're connecting with other Christians. We really feel like we can grow here. We went around all 13 people, and we got to the end. I said, nobody mentioned you're coming here for the preaching. And, and Jimmy, God bless him, he goes, don't hold your breath. That, that, that's, the kind, that's the kind of guy Jimmy is. And we were talking about baptism in our online class. He said, Dale, you mention baptism almost every week. He said, but you don't mention enough about the pattern in the New Testament. Because baptism is not the only thing we're commanded to do to start with Jesus. See, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he actually gives it to us in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and in Acts. And then Peter picks it up and he continues it and Paul picks it up and continues it. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. In Mark chapter 16, he says, go and preach the gospel to the entire creation. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved and those who do not believe will not be saved. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus says, this has to be preached all over the land that repentance will lead to forgiveness. In John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, Jesus tells them, you're going to be my witnesses to go preach repentance. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, power is going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And then Peter takes up this mantle, this call of the Great Commission, and he preaches on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was this festival that all Jews were required to come back to Jerusalem. They were the same Jewish believers that had been there at Passover five weeks prior. And Peter stands in front of all of them and he said, you all who were here at Passover, remember Passover? Yes, you killed the Messiah. It says in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart. And they said, Peter and the other brothers, the other apostles, what do we need to do? Then Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And those who believed his message, about 3,000 were baptized that day. Paul, in Romans chapter 10, he takes up this same great commission. He says in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you will be saved. In verses 14 and 15, he says, but how can they hear unless, how can they believe unless they hear, and how can they hear unless somebody preaches it to them? So there's a pattern found in the New Testament where there's a teaching of the gospel, there's belief, repentance, confession, and baptism. And then it repeats itself. The people who are baptized go teach others. Listen to that pattern again. There's a teaching, and then belief, that belief is more than just head knowledge. Yeah, I know it happened. It's an entrusting yourself to Jesus as your Savior. Entrusting yourself to Jesus as your Lord. The Scripture says we are saved by grace through faith. By grace, that preposition is important. It's by a gift from God. You can't earn it and you don't deserve it. It is a total gift. And it's through faith that you put yourself into the hands of Jesus to be forgiven and saved. Well, there's another preposition that's added when we talk about in baptism. You are saved by grace through faith in baptism for good works. 
But there's a pattern there. Belief, repentance means I put down my own agenda and I take up the agenda of Christ. I put down my old way of life and I take up my, my, the Jesus way of life. In fact, we have to teach belief and repentance as much as we teach baptism. It's kind of important. If you don't have faith and you go in the baptismal, you just get wet. And you can't come to Christ unless you throw down your life and take up his life. That's repentance. In fact, a lot of times people are taught, give your life to Christ, your whole life will be better. And that's not what the New Testament teaches. Jesus says, follow me and in this world you're going to have trouble. But it's worth it. I've overcome the world. But we have to teach people as they come to faith that they have to give up their old way of life, repent, and come to the new way of life, the Jesus way. And you can't come to Christ in reality and do the starting point if you don't repent. Confession's kind of important too, right? Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you don't confess me, I won't confess you. Confession is just speaking what's in your heart. So it covers when I confess my sin and I say I have sinned, that was in my heart, but I'm confessing to get it out of my system and receive the forgiveness of Christ. But it's also confessing what's in my heart that's good. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you confess that before others. This is important. See, baptism is linked with belief, repentance, confession. We don't separate it. In uh, the Middle East, in some Muslim countries, it's illegal to convert to Christianity. And if you say you're starting to date Jesus, they'll get mad at you. If you say you're exclusive to Jesus, they're going to beat you up. But it's not until you are baptized into Jesus that they kill you. Because they recognize that the symbol and the reality is one and the same. I started dating my wife. We were young. But we weren't married. Started holding hands with my wife. But we weren't married. And we both declared our exclusive love for each other. But we weren't married. We even kissed before we got married. But we weren't married. It wasn't until we did the ceremony of marriage that we became married. In the New Testament, I think you can start dating Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, declare your allegiance to Jesus, and never do the ceremony he commanded you to do called baptism. I think that's a scary, dangerous place to be. But there's a pattern in the New Testament of belief, repentance, confession, and baptism. Let's do some training. I know, we're running out of time. Let's do some training. The pattern starts with giving the gospel, telling someone the gospel. In a nutshell, the good news of, of Jesus goes like this. God saves sinners. Would you turn to somebody close to you and just tell them that good news God saves sinners. Just somebody close to you. Go. Now, if you did that, if you said God saves sinners, then you have started the practice of what you're called to do after you start. 
Like most of you in here are baptized believers. You've been coming to church a long time. But maybe you've never told anybody the good news about Jesus before. In fact, statistics show that most people will live their whole life claiming to be a Christ follower and never lead anybody to Jesus. But you've got to start somewhere. So the training starts with giving the gospel. You know, there's, a, there's another way to explain the gospel. That's a little bit more detailed. In fact, this is how Paul explains it. He said, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins, was buried, and then on the third day rose again. Would you use that phrasing? You, here it is. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins, was buried, and then after three days rose from the dead. Would you tell somebody close to you those three things? Go. See, there's a pattern in the New Testament. And the pattern begins with teaching. How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? See, our job as Christians is to make disciples, and we've got to tell them. But then, don't forget the pattern. When you tell them about Jesus, oh, there's another way. I'll tell you. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross sacrificing himself and he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he defeated death. And he gives you the victory too. Oh, I love that one. Would you tell somebody close to you that Jesus can give you victory too? You, you, just, shared, you just shared the gospel three ways. See, now you have a job. You got to share that. One of those ways. Or find another way to explain it to somebody else. There's a pattern. This pattern is found in the book of Acts. There's 11 conversions, give or take, in Acts. Every single one of them follows that pattern. There's a teaching, there's a hearing, they come to faith, they believe, they repent, confess, and are baptized. In Acts, these 11 conversions, um, every single one of the conversions follows that pattern, and it's explicit. It tells that they were taught. And 10 out of the 11 are explicit. It tells that they were baptized. Only one of them is implied. But the belief, the repentance and confession on those 11, most of the time it's just implied that they did it. It doesn't always say they did it. In Acts chapter 2, they said, Peter, what do we need to do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And those who believed his message were baptized. About 3,000 people were saved. So in that one, it shows that there was teaching and then there was belief. It doesn't really say they repented, but it's heavily implied that they turned to Jesus instead of their old way. And it doesn't say they confessed, but it kind of is implied that when they said, what do we need to do? That's kind of like confessing with their mouth. They need to do something. In Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian's riding in a chariot, and the Holy Spirit says, go beside that chariot. The Ethiopian's reading scripture, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I, unless somebody guides me? And he invites Philip up into his chariot, and beginning with that verse in Isaiah, he explains Jesus Christ to him. And somewhere along the way, he must have explained the pattern, teaching, belief, repentance, confession, and baptism, because the very next verse, the Ethiopian says, stop the chariot, here's some water, why can't I get baptized? And so we see teaching, it's very explicit, we see baptism, it's very explicit, but we don't really hear about the belief, repentance, and confession, but it's heavily implied. 
In Acts chapter 9, Paul is blinded by Jesus Christ. An appearance of Jesus. And you know, when Jesus shows up and he knocks you down with his voice and he blinds you so you can't see, that's a belief moment. It doesn't say he believed, but I think he believed. In Acts chapter 22, he describes it. He says, Ananias came to me and he said, Paul, get up. What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Have your sins washed away. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he calls for Peter and Peter comes in and he explains. He teaches. And they already believe. It doesn't say they repented. It's implied. And then Peter orders that that whole household be baptized. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia comes to faith. And it says her and her household were baptized. It doesn't really talk about whether they repented or confessed, but it's implied that they did. And then the jailer, oh, the jailer in chapter 16, uh, the jailer has Paul and Silas in prison. And they're in the, the in, and they're singing. And all of a sudden an earthquake happens and the prison doors fly open. And in those days, if a prisoner escapes, if you're the head guard, you're going to get executed. So instead of embarrassing, having his family embarrassed and he gets executed, he decides he's going to kill himself instead. But Paul says, wait, wait, wait. We're all still here. And that shaking of the earth and the shaking of his confidence and seeing that Paul was still there shook that jailer to his senses. And he went to Paul. He fell down on his knees. He says, Paul, what do I have to do to be saved? And it says that Paul taught him. It says the jailer at that very hour in the middle of the night, he cleaned their wounds and then was immediately baptized. Somewhere along the way, Paul taught him, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. He taught him, Jesus gives you the victory. Jesus died for you. Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death, and he did that for you. And that jailer got saved. And he started where the New Testament tells him to start. Immediately, in the middle of the night, he got baptized. There's a pattern it's found in the New Testament. It's an illustration. It's an immersion. It's invisible. It's important. And if you've already been baptized, you have a job to do to go teach. But if you haven't been baptized, Jesus is calling you to do it today. Christopher Wren, Sir Christopher Wren, was an architect from the 1600s and he was hired after London had a huge fire to rebuild a lot of the churches in London including St. Paul's Cathedral. This is the architecture that maybe he's best known for worldwide. And there's a story and I don't know if it's true or not where Christopher Wren the architect he dresses as one of the common people and he walks among the stonemasons that are building this cathedral. And he comes to the first stonemason who's kind of working hard. And he said, hey, what are you doing here? Just have a little conversation. And the stonemason says, I'm cutting stone. And then he goes back to his work. And he walks a little further. He finds another guy. He's working maybe a little harder. And he says, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm making six pence a day. Just earning a living. And then he finds in a small corner where they're cutting stone. And this man is working his tail off sweat on his clothes sweat on him he's dirty but he is just cutting into the stone and he says what are you doing and the stonemason says 
I'm helping Christopher Wren build a cathedral that's going to glorify God. See, our job is to go and make disciples. That's going to glorify God. And we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all of Jesus' commands. Not to leave anyone out. So I have to ask you, if I could, paraphrase Christopher Wren. What are you doing? Are you building with the church this beautiful cathedral of people the temple of God that's going to bring him glory. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.